Everybody comfortable? Yeah. Get your ass up when I'm talking. Hey, take it easy. It's showtime. It's showtime. Yeah. Feel the magic and soul of the YBs. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Take two. That Davis show, we're lucky enough to be joined by Matt Peck, host of the Bulls Outsider on NBC Sports Chicago for the past two Bulls seasons, and also entering his fourth as co-host on the Locked On Bulls. You can find that where anywhere are Locked On podcasts with Jordan Malley. Shout out to Jordan. Uh, produced me and D a couple times down at the score. So I hope, is Jordan doing well? Oh, Jordan's great. I was just on the mics with him earlier today doing some more draft preview for uh, the big uh, big night coming up on Wednesday. He's doing great, man. You okay. know, k- kicking ass and taking names over there at 670 the score. And, uh, you know, he and I are, are thrilled to be entering our fourth season with Locked Up Bulls. We actually celebrated our 30-year anniversary today from when we first joined the network. So uh, it, it's been a, a pretty brutal three years to be doing a daily podcast about <laughs> the Bulls. But, uh, you know, we're excited for hopefully better things to come. And by the way, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate the invite. No problem. No problem. Uh, we're, we're quick on Locked on Bulls. What made you guys start it? And does Jordan still have the Apple connection? <laughs> so he actually he doesn't work for Apple anymore. Um, but bless his heart. The reason he doesn't work for Apple anymore is because he got the, the opportunity at 670 to score. Right. And when Apple had some issues with his hours, he was like, hmm, Apple sports radio i think i'm going sports radio so uh and we actually had been doing our own uh bulls podcast uh called the debatables back in the day for about seven or eight months before locked on had um an opening because you may recall that cody westerland another 670 person and sean hyken who is a great Mm -hmm. nba reporter were the og hosts of locked on bulls uh and they couldn't continue for various reasons and uh, i had a colleague who was actually doing locked on uh pistons uh, over in detroit uh, a guy who i knew from my freelance blogging days so that was kind of our window in and the host of the network said i listened to your pre-existing bulls podcast it's great keep doing what you're doing just doing it on our network and jordan Mm -hmm. i said well that's easy so (laughs) I like that. I like that. Look at you. Tenacity and keep going for it. Also follow Matt at, I mean, at Bulls underscore Peck. All right, man. Listen, we got some big stuff taking place finally here in Chicago. Uh, We're not going to have the seventh pick this year. Lucky enough, we got bumped up. We got the fourth pick. So it's it's Christmas for Bulls fans, basically. And I guess the first question I would have to ask you, Matt, is who would you prefer the Bulls to take at number four? Well, I guess it depends on whether or not you assume that the top three picks are going to go chalk and it's not as concrete as it's been in recent years, but for the most part, and then especially uh, over the last 48 hours or so, we've heard that despite all the smoke and all the rumors, it would be a surprise to not see LaMelo Wiseman and Edwards go top three in some, in any particular order, but those being a top three, if that's the case and the bulls don't have LaMelo fall into their lap at four, which I think would be great, but mm-hmm. I personally don't think he's worth sacrificing a piece of our current core for to trade up to get LaMelo. I'm not that high on him. If that's the case, then you're looking at a few options at four. Uh, a lot of Bulls fans are enamored with Denny Avdia, you know, the, the young prospect uh, from, from Israel who mm-hmm. projects to be kind of like a, a combo forward uh, jack-of-all-trades player that's enticing for today's NBA landscape. 
I personally would love to see them more seriously address the lack of playmaking on this roster. And now Denny's a good passer for a guy his size, but I do like the upside of some of the guards in this draft class, particularly Killian Hayes, the French product who played over in Germany this past year. Um, I, I also like the, the, uh, possibility of Tyrese Halliburton being a guy who can play all, both on the ball and off the ball. He was pretty efficient as an off the ball shooter uh, in his college career. I also am, am pretty high on that kid, uh, Kyra Lewis Jr. from Alabama. Ooh. He like he has some interesting elements to his game. His Euro step is like flawless. It's like Tony Parker levels of Euro step. He's got some Dennis Schroeder mixed to his game. Crazy fast. So that's what I am hoping for on draft night. The Bulls have not had an answer at the point guard spot since Derrick Rose tore his ACL eight years ago. And I would Mm. like that problem to be solved. I'm not convinced that it's going to be one of these players, but that's what I would like to see them try to address. Look, when you're talking about Lewis from Alabama, I want to compare Alabama guard to Alabama guard. Do you see him being a better player than Sexton or particularly more of a playmaker player than Sexton came out of Alabama a few years ago? That's a good question. I, I mean, I think most people would say that Colin Sexton has been more of a disappointment mm-hmm. based on projections uh, coming out of the draft so far. And that's not to say he can't still improve and get better. I never saw him as a great playmaking guard. Um, certainly loved his, his athletic ability and, and what he could do creating um, as, as, a, as a primary ball handler for himself. But I also don't necessarily see brilliant playmaking from from Lewis Jr. I see him as a guy who can certainly create his own shot off the dribble. He can drive. I I would like to see better finishing at the rim from him. I think he's still a little bit too weak and needs to add some strength so that he can finish at the rim a little bit better. But I would say the comp isn't too far off, uh, in my opinion, because they both appear to me to be you know, look to drive and penetrate and or create my own shot kind of guards more so than being playmaking guards. Whereas like Killian Hayes, very much a playmaking guard. Uh, Kyra Lewis Jr. I think is more of just a use his speed and athletic ability to create primarily for himself. Look, I want to talk about Killian Hayes and Tyrese Halliburton because I think if I had a choice between the two, I would probably go with the Frenchman. Uh, I know that they, he, he's not ambidextrous and he's just a, he's just a lefty right now, but it seems like with his frame and his growth, and he's not a super athlete, but he's athletic, that in the long run, he may be able to transition into a star while Halliburton being a guy who can play off the ball but also run an offense, I feel like he's just going to be probably like a sweet role player perhaps, or even maybe better than that, but I feel like I want to swing for the fences if I was the Bulls and they should go with their young Frenchman and Killian Hayes. Yeah, I think you're right on the money there, Kenneth, because to me, when you look at mock drafts across the board over the past month or so, Killian Hayes is a guy who has some have projected to go as high as four to the Bulls, uh, all the way down to maybe even sliding into the late lottery, not going until 12th, 13th, 14th, something like that. And Tyrese Halliburton, you usually see in that little seven to 10, seven to 11 window, which I mean, to me, you know, the optics of that are clear. People, for the most part, agree that Killian Hayes has a higher potential ceiling than Tyrese Halliburton, uh, but perhaps more of a bust risk where Tyrese Halliburton is a guy with, you know, multiple years of college experience and plenty of tape. You know what you're getting with him. So a higher floor, but also a lower ceiling. I think that's kind of the difference. That David Show of Matt Peck, host of the Bulls Outsiders on NBC Sports Chicago for the past two seasons and also Locked on Bulls podcast. You can find that anywhere with Locked on Bulls. Locked on anything is what I mean to say. Also follow him <laughs> at Bulls underscore Peck. Listen, Matt, let me ask you this. Which player 
would you not want the Bulls to draft? Like, he's totally like, you're like, don't touch him. I don't want him to come down. And also include it, it, the chalk in that, too. Right. Uh, so including the chalk, I wouldn't be thrilled if somehow Wiseman fell to the Bulls at four. And then the Bulls were like, well, do we think he's the best available? And then take him and then add to the already, you know, uh, log jammed kind of situation you have in the front court. I've heard some Bulls fans say, Hey, let's trade up and, and, and sacrifice Wendell Carter to, to get Wiseman. I think that's ludicrous personally. I, I feel like we've barely scratched the surface of what Wendell Carter jr. Can do. And with proper coaching and tutelage in the right system, we could really see him blossom. Um, an, another name that I think is kind of, uh, getting a lot of hype recently is Onyeka Okongwu. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 the forward for, from USC. Now, I certainly see a future, a quality future for him in the NBA, but to me, his strengths and weaknesses kind of already mirror what Wendell Carter Jr. is. I mean, he's, he's incredible uh, as a help defender, uh, a, a shot blocking rim protector. Uh, he's got a great basketball IQ on the defensive end. And I think he's a little bit more gifted than Wendell right now as a guy, as a rim roller and a pick and roll kind of offense. And he, he's dynamic and athletic and finishing above the rim. So you like that, but he still does not have that uh, range to his offensive game. The Bulls fans were hoping to see Wendell Carter Jr. develop this season that we never saw. If anything, we saw Wendell kind of shy away offensively this season, even compared to his rookie year. So those two bigs, Wiseman and, and Okongwu, would be uh, pieces that if for whatever reason, either of them ended up being the bull selection at four, like I could make my peace with it, but I wouldn't see as much logic behind it. Mm. Matt, is there any, is there any worry when you're talking about Wendell Carter with the injury factor? Um, I like Wendell Carter, but it's, he's, he's, a, he's about one more injury away as far as a long duration of an injury from being like he's injury prone. Is there any fear that perhaps looking for a replacement or somebody that maybe can fit in and help because maybe he may not be in the long-term plans because, I mean, I hate to say it, he's a tap and injury prone. Yeah, I, I think it's fair for Bulls fans to have that concern right now just because you look at games played versus games missed through his first two years. I think it's fair that Bulls fans also have that worry about Lowry marketing through three mm-hmm. years. He's missed a, a fair amount of time due to injury. We just heard the, nurse, uh, heard the news maybe an hour before hopping on the mics here that the Bulls are not extending that qualifying offer to Chris Dunn one of those pieces in the Butler trade. He's another guy who was injury prone and missed a lot of time. So I don't, I don't think it's wrong to say it's a concern for Wendell, but he has been one of several players to have injury issues with this team. We did hear they extended Denzel Valentine. He was mostly available this year and Boylan just, you know, put him at the back end of his doghouse for whatever reasons, but he's coming back. He's been an injury concern. Um, I mean, Otto Porter Jr. How much better would this Bulls team have been? Could this Bulls team have been this past season if their best two-way player, Otto Porter Jr., was available for more than a dozen games? So, yes, it's a concern with Wendell, but keep in mind he is still very young. And this could just be a series of unfortunate injuries at the beginning of his career. Uh, and, and he could have a very healthy career ahead of him. I mean, knock on wood on that. I think it's too soon to tell. That Davis show here with Matt Peck. Follow him at Bulls underscore Matt me underscore Peck. Uh, Matt, real quick, let me ask you this. You mentioned that you wouldn't trade any of the core players to move up in the draft. So I'm taking that off the table. But which one of the core players are you closer to willing to be moving off of because you, you don't think that necessarily he's going to uh, make it and become reach his full potential or particularly reach that potential here as a Bulls player? 
Yeah, this is a really hot button topic with Bulls fans right now. If you have to, you know, uh, if you have to uh, separate yourself from one of the core four pieces, which one would you be most willing to part with? Logically speaking, I think, and as much as I love him and everything he did for this team for the past two years, two plus years, the answer that makes the most sense is Zach Levine. Um, He has clearly the highest trade value of any piece of this roster right now. He's a guy coming off a year where he averaged nearly 25, five and five, and he's got two more years of a very team friendly deal on the books where he can be that kind of production for you. And he's making less than $20 million. Like name the list of players in the NBA who can give you 25, five and five who make less than 20 million. Cause it's a pretty short list. For that reason, I think Zach has some pretty decent trade value right now. The other element to that is from what we hear about AK, from what we've seen in Denver and the style of basketball that he likes to play, what Zach does on the offensive end doesn't necessarily mesh with what we are anticipating to see when it comes to this front office and this new coaching staff uh, installing a new offensive system. Now, that's not to say that other pieces are – more suited to what they're doing, uh, mm-hmm. but just that Zach is the most valuable piece who might uh, be seen by the front office right now to be a square peg for a round hole. Look, because that was actually going to be one of my future questions, but I want to get to Zach real quick. What's the legit haul for, for Zach? Because I, I agree with you on this. If you have the number four pick and you move up to the first slot, that's not enough for Zach, especially when you add on his contract with his with his, with his play. But what's an ideal haul for for a a Zach Levine for Matt Peck? I think it starts with a player who is not quite all-star caliber, but still young, still has a window of possible improvement ahead of them, and maybe uh, not quite uh, statistically as proven as Zach Levine, even though he's done it on bad teams. Uh, 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 So like a very quality starter, Uh, Not an all-star, but a very quality starter who's young and an additional pick in this draft. And I don't mean swapping and the Bulls give up four and get a player and that team's pick. I mean, you keep number four, you get yourself a good young starter and another pick. And even even that to me seems a bit of an undersell for Zach at giving everything he can be for another team. Um, and, And it's unfortunate that this appears to be. Uh, certainly a weaker draft class and compared to recent years where 2017, 18 and 19, I mean, they're the, the next generation of mega stars for this league came from the past three draft classes. And it's been evident over the last couple of seasons. It was evident in the bubble this summer. You saw these young stars making that leap. I don't know if we're going to get any players of that caliber out of this draft class, but there's always the chance that you find yourself a gem. And we do know that AK much like John and Gar, to their credit, which I don't dole out often, finding quality picks later in the draft. AK has proven that he could be good at that. Obviously, Jokic at number 41 is the most primo example. Listen, I look at this draft being similar to the Rudy Gobert, Giannis draft. I remember watching that draft and I remember them sitting in the stands and thinking because they both said that they were going to come here uh, the following that season and not stay over in Europe. I was like, I kind of like these young guys. I did not think either one were going to be the players that they turned into. But I, I want to know, are there any players that perhaps let's just say past four or in the teens that you look at as being a sleeper because this draft has written all over it. A guy taking a little bit later being the best player coming out of this entire draft. Yeah, I think there are a lot of 
it's funny, like to me, none of them stick out this year because everyone is trying to find that sleeper pick in a weak class. So I feel like everybody just like picked a player that they liked who was projected to go mid to late first round or second round and talked about them like they're being the biggest sleeper uh, and, and a surprise potential star. I think more people are looking for that this year than than on average because it is a weak class that everybody wants to find that one gem. I mean, a prime example is is uh, is Patrick Williams, this kid uh, from Florida State who a couple months ago people were saying, hey, you know, maybe he sneaks into to the back end of the lottery. He could fall as, as far as the early second round. And now people are talking about him having a draft promise from the Pistons at seven if he falls that far. So <laughs> to me, I'm not going to sit here and posture and pretend like I have some great yeah. answer for a sleeper because <laughs> everyone's trying to do it and no one knows. No one knows. <laughs> Listen, so since I'm going to get you to stick you right there, who in the second round would you prefer the Bulls to take? So we get out of the draft after that um honestly i i'm not opposed to the idea of doing a draft and stash with that second round pick we we have seen the bulls do it in years past uh you know nico miritich being a recent example uh you know um our, our old pal jerry Krause did it with tony kukoc all the way back in the day i am not looking for a player who's coming from that second round who's going to come in and be in the top eight of Billy Donovan's rotation this season. I don't see that as a likely scenario. And given how roster strapped the Bulls are already, so, you know, they extended the qualifying offer to Denzel today. Uh, uh, Otto Porter Jr., shock, big shock, picked up his player option over the weekend. (laughs) And assuming whether it's at four or they trade down or up, a first-round pick, you're talking about being at 13 guaranteed contracts already. And do you really want to use one of your two remaining roster spots for a second round pick who probably won't play that much? So mm-hmm. knowing that AK has this wonderful Rolodex of international basketball scouts, the Bulls added an international scout to their staff earlier this offseason. I would not mind seeing them try to find their sleeper on an international team somewhere and say, hey, keep doing what you're doing on that international team for another season and we'll see you for 21-22. That Davis show right now joined by the host of Bulls Outsiders and also co-host of Locked On Bulls, Matt Peck. Follow him at Bulls underscore Peck. Uh, listen, I, I, had, I used to call him the Finnish Lord, all right? I had an affinity for him. I had a, a huge affinity. You know, my affinity for him is only our game for how I felt about Matt Nagy the first season. Oh right? God! Yeah, that's just the conundrum that I'm in right now, and I hate to say this coming out this coming out of my mouth. All right, it's insolence to the Finnish Lord. But when do you pull the plug? I know we have to let the new eyes get there and Billy Donovan get their chance with them. So I guess it'll be after this season. Or you know what? Let me let me change that. What do you need to see from Laurie Markin in this season that makes you feel that the Bulls should keep Laurie Markin moving forward? I need to see a player who was far more aggressive and far more engaged than the 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 empty eggshell of a Lowry that we saw this past season. And so much uh, was so much time was spent talking among the fan base this past season. How much of this is Lowry's fault for not, you know, asserting himself and developing his game? And how much is Jim Boylan's fault for sticking Lowry in the corner and basically just turning him into nothing more than a spot up three point shooter? And the answer I always came to was, yes, it's both of their faults. Um, Lowry has never really seemed to be that aggressive of a player to say, give me the damn ball. I'm going to go score. 
I also, and, and I wonder if the the hip flexor weird injury that we heard about midseason was a, a lingering problem uh, for for longer than than we knew about, because he just looked so uh, so passive and so hesitant to engage in any contact this this past season. He he was never like a big post player uh, at Arizona in college. He was never a big post player for his first two seasons with the Bulls. That was never a big part of his game. But even when he had a mismatch and like there was like a six four guard on him and he got the ball, he couldn't do a damn thing with it. So that was really frustrating. I need to see something else from him in the post this season. I'm not saying it has to be the best element to his game because I still love his ability as a pick and pop player, a pick and roll player, but primarily a guy who gets great looks moving off the ball, like the cutting, uh, you know, cutting baskets we've seen Lowry make where he's playing off the ball and makes a great cut and scores in transition. That's a great element to his game. And Boylan killed it this past season. So there are a, Basically, to answer your question, there are a lot of things we need to see from Lowry, but I am not giving up on him yet. So many Bulls fans are ready to trade him this season, trade him in the offseason. I still think that that guy, and everybody loves to talk about that month of February, his second year, where he averaged 26 and 12. And I'm like, I don't even care about that small sample size. Just take for the fact that in that entire second season of his, as a second-year player, he averaged damn near 19 and 9. That's not nothing. And that's not nothing. And that's not something to just throw away and dismiss before seeing if Donovan and more competent people than John Gar and Jim can fix it. Speaking of throwing away and dismissing, who are the guys that for Matt Peck need to be here? And who are the guys that you're ready to get jettisoned? But you can't include Felicio or Otto Porter. Dude, how much did it crack you up that every Bulls fan who was throwing around trade machine stuff this offseason was always including Otto and or Felicio in every Bulls trade? And I'm sitting here saying, what are you people smoking? And can I have a little bit? Because little that's, bit. that's ridiculous. We're, they're not assets. It's like, oh, well, they're expiring. Yeah, they're expiring contracts. People want those. Not if it's that player attached to it. They don't. Right. You know, an, an overpaid vet who hasn't played more than a few games each of the last two years and the biggest human punchline in the NBA? No. No, you're not trading either of those. So, I mean, outside of those two, when it comes to who am I cool with with seeing go and who would I like to keep, today, the decisions we got on Dunn and Valentine made sense to me. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Valentine is a reliable three-point shooter, and I think he's an underrated playmaker and passer, especially in transition, and that's a useful piece for an AK-run system. So I wasn't surprised, especially considering his qualifying offer was about half as expensive as Chris Dunn's. Mm -hmm. Chris Dunn, a half-court point guard who never really was that elite of a playmaker to be a point guard who can't shoot, especially Mm -hmm. Now in this league, I was wrong about Chris Dunn. I was so high on him when they got him in that trade. And I was disappointed because most of all, I just don't like being wrong. But I was also disappointed <laughs> that he didn't work out. But now when we got that news today that we will not ex- you know, extend a qualifying offer to Chris Dunn, I was like, great. Sayonara. See you later. Best of luck to you. Um, you know, and then the other one decision that the Bulls would have to make here as far as French pieces is Shaq Harrison. We haven't heard anything yet as far as, you know, I haven't gotten any alerts while we've been chatting about a decision on him, but he is a much cheaper 
comparable option to Chris Dunn if you still wanted a versatile defender uh, and a guy who can create some steals and some transition opportunities for you. You can get him at a tenth of the price of Chris Dunn, but they might decide. We were talking about their their lack of roster flexibility. They might decide that that roster spot would be best used somewhere else in the fringe of, of free agents in, in a week. That David show here with Matt Peck. Follow him at Bulls underscore Peck. Uh, listen, uh, we got a little gift. Um, we got somebody uh, on the job that uh, actually had this job before as far as being a head coach. How did you feel with the hire Billy Donovan? Before they hired Billy Donovan, who were the guys that you wanted to take that seat from Jim Boylan? Yeah, I mean, I think we were mostly looking at would-be first-time head coach uh, candidates, whether it be Steven Silas, Wes Unsell Jr., Dan Craig, uh, you know, plenty of people who had impressive resumes in their other uh, stops in the NBA as people who started in, in video rooms and people who started in development and then worked their way to, you know, seats on uh, assistant coaching uh, positions. And I was I was okay with the path of all right. We're going to give a guy a first time head coaching opportunity, as long as they come from a respectable program and have some chops. And there are other people in the league who say this person deserves this opportunity. And it's not just the Bulls being the Bulls, where mm-hmm. it's just like, hey, let's throw a dart. Hey, let's call Iowa and see who picks up. <laughs> like I was I was ready to make my peace with whoever they settled on. Um, And then it was a remarkably pleasant surprise to me to hear Donovan be the name that was called. Because if you remember, his name was floated, and I believe by Woj, like the most trustworthy of all sources, as the Bulls are expected to have some interest. But it was like one tweet, and Mm. we never heard anything about it again. And Bulls fans were like, oh, my God, you know, who who are we going to get? And I always was kind of wondering in the back of my mind, I was like, maybe they're going after Donovan and just being very, very quiet about it. And that Mm. turned out to be exactly the case. Look, does Donovan have certain flaws in his, in his resume so far as a head coach in the NBA? Sure. You know, failing to get out of the first round, despite some hall of fame type talent, whether you're talking about, you know, the last season, the KD being there, Westbrook, Paul George, um, the, the most credit he gets and rightfully so is for what he did this past season with CP three and a gang of misfits. I'd like nobody predicted them to to make the playoffs in a stacked Western conference, let alone make the fifth seed a huge accomplishment there. Does he have, you know, some work to do on making in-game adjustments and matchup adjustments and things like that? Sure. He's also a guy who has a 600 winning percentage in the Western conference over the last five years. Oh, and two titles back to back in the NCAA, which hasn't been done since. uh, Yeah. Hasn't been done since. Dude has mad credentials compared to Jim Bleep and Boylan. I'm ecstatic. <laughs> so in that, I want to transition to the front office because that had to be something that you look upon this front office is doing a really good job going out and getting someone who had actually been through the fires. So I know we can't see it. We don't know everything because the season hasn't unfolded it and they, the league came to a stop and really the Bulls didn't start playing in the bubble. They didn't get the opportunity to play in the bubble. But when you're looking at Arturis Carnage Silvis and Mark Eversley, how do you feel about this front office moving forward? And is it a situation that the last relationship was so bad you'll take anything right now? Right. I 
like they and that was what was so funny to me was watching Bulls fans react to Jim Boylan still being around and still not being fired yet and still not being fired yet and everybody was like oh my god they're gonna bring him back and then there were all these other speculative columns written by Bulls beat writers being like well they might bring Jim back because of this and Jerry Reinsdorf just mentioned about how much money he's losing between his Bulls and his and his White Sox and we're in a pandemic and they might be looking for for cost-cutting solutions everywhere and maybe that includes bringing Jim back and I was sitting here saying ain't no way any of that makes any lick of sense right AK was brought in to create organizational change why would they bring him here if they insisted on shoving Jim Boylan down his throat it made no sense so AK was just doing his due diligence and he was being respectful to his new boss's ownership who requested him to keep an open mind about Jim Boylan so we all waited impatiently and as I expected, the news came and AK fired Jim because that was the right basketball decision. I feel great about this new front office. At first, I was a little bit worried when, OK, we finally got rid of Gar, but, you know, they're going to put John with a different title, senior basketball advisor, senior advisor to the right, whatever, and worrying about him still sticking his nose in mm-hmm. the new front office's business. But. We were told John is here if you need him. Otherwise, AK, it's your show to run. Hire who you want to hire. Fill out the front office, the whatever way you want to do. And we will be here to support you. And our checkbook will be here to support you to make sure that that's doable. We have, need, we have seen no evidence to the contrary so far. Other than Bulls being impatient before firing Jim Boylan for a while there and freaking out when, again, like you were saying, we, we just have trust issues, right? right. It's like, right. we got cheated on, and <laughs> as soon as we start dating somebody new, we're like, are they going to cheat on us too? Please don't. <laughs> Listen, the only part, bad part when it comes to Jerry is really what happened with this, all right? Oh. Uh, I, oh. we, we got Doug Collins, and it's even worse. Uh, I don't want to go there. We're having a good, great interview. I'm not going to bring us down. I, I heard something about Tony getting that DUI expunged today. What's what, is there some good no, news on that front? No, actually, what it is, they fouled it in like the wrong county, oh. so they dismissed it. But they're going to refile it, oh, so he okay. didn't get off just yet. I, I thought that was Jerry still calling in a few favors that he had left. So yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, it is right. Exactly, exactly. Oh. I want to talk yeah. to something near and dear to you before you get out of here. Uh, you you did something that I'm sure a lot of people, even myself would love to do and to see you uh, host Bulls Outsiders after the game and cut up and you guys have for such a, a good time. Um, how was that and how did it come about? How, how, how did, did you guys come to, to NBC Sports Chicago or did they come to you? How did that take place? So uh, actually, and yeah, just right out of the gate, it was an incredible experience. I never believed for a second that I was actually there. I was pinching myself the whole time. It was, you know, such a wonderful opportunity. Uh, and, and the three of us, myself and my amazing co-stars, Big Dave and John, relished every second of it. Um, it was actually a concept that was created by some people over at NBC Bay Area because Mm -hmm. the Warriors were so popular that it didn't matter how much content they would put out with the Warriors. It it, it was never enough. Mm -hmm. And so they had a couple of people. um, One of them was, you know, kind of like an up and coming beat writer. And then one of them was just somebody who had like a Warriors blog. And they started it as a Facebook live show on the NBC Sports Bay Area Facebook page. Um, And it garnered a pretty big following because Warriors fans were obsessed with this, you know, dynasty team 
team at the time. This started, you know, three or four years ago when the Warriors were the thing in the NBA. And so it got so popular that they took it from being a Facebook live show all the way to being, you know, their, you know, uh, regional sports network cable show that they would do as a post game show uh, in addition to some other digital media platforms. And so basically the, the big bosses at NBC Sports told their other regional sports networks, including Chicago, hey, if you have an NBA team uh, as part of your coverage, check out this cool concept that the Warriors are doing called Warriors Outsiders. And if you want to do something similar with your team, go for it and, and we'll support you and you can make creative changes that you see fit. Um, so that's how it started. And our executive producer, Kevin Anderson, who is just one of the nicest people in the world and one of the most talented uh, people I've worked with in, in the sports media business was put in charge to say, Hey, find the correct people for this and, and run it. And that's how it started. He reached out to a handful of people that were just prominent follows on Bulls Twitter, people who had Bulls podcasts or Bulls blogs, uh, people who were not quite media, but on the fringe of media, uh, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And someone who could honestly fill the role of I'm, I'm not media. I'm not in the inner circle. I am a fan. First and foremost, I am a fan. And we want to do a post game show that is for the fans by the fans. Um, and yeah, there, there was a, a lengthy audition and application process, uh, including in-studio auditions. And the three people that they settled on were myself and John Sabine and Big Dave Watson, the three of whom we had never met before coming into really? those in-person auditions. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, gosh, most people, most people are shocked. Over there, I knew, until you started saying this, I was like, he's trying to say that these guys didn't work together. That's crazy. Great yeah. job, man. People Great are job. shocked. People are shocked when they hear that we had never met each other or known each other um, before coming into auditions for that show because we are so lucky in that there are certain personality and experience overlaps between all three of us in different ways where chemistry was just instantaneous. Uh, like myself and John both had backgrounds in acting and live comedy, sketch comedy, improv comedy. Um, and, and John still does a lot of that. Like he's a big guy at Second City and, and IO here in Chicago. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I hung up my acting cleats to try to get into sports media about five or six years ago. Uh, so, so John and I had that in common and certainly that comfortability of talking and being performative. And, and John and Big Dave bonded immediately over their mutual love for pro wrestling and WWE. And so it was like they were diehard NBA fans and Bulls fans, but also they had this other mutual interest that was like very, uh, you know, lovingly just their own. So it was like there was all this. And then, of course, Dave and myself, just lifelong Chicago sports fans who live, breathe and eat and then sleep Chicago sports. So there was mutual respect and mutual interest in, in all directions between the three of us. So that's why we were lucky that, you know, as soon as they sat us down in front of a camera, uh, our, our producer, Kevin Anderson said two minutes into the first time we put the three of you together at the table, we were like, yep, this is it. This is the show. <laughs> that's dope. Listen, so how you, you, of course you have people, you engage with people on social media. How is it received? And I mean that outside of, and I'm not saying this because I didn't even check this out today. I was listening the marching Greco spat. Uh, it was good. That was good. I was listen. I didn't even know you, but I was happy for you. All right, yeah. I was happy. So, did you end up going to like Wild and Sylvie? Because I think I was listening that day, and I was just happy. Like that is so sweet that they get that marching mm -hmm. that that happened, and they they get to go on there. But how was it received? And then tell me about the uh, the spat with uh, the one great Gian Greco from that 
Channel 5 and uh, Channel 7 as us kids can remember. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially for, for me and Dave, it was unbelievable to even think that Mark G and Greco would know who we are and that we existed. You know, uh, John's a, a transplant. He's originally from Dallas. He came to Chicago, like I want to say, 10 or 12 years ago. So for him, G and Greco didn't carry that same weight of me and Dave are Chicago kids. Well, let's classify Dave's Chicago kid. I'm a suburb kid. I'm not okay. that cool, but even still <laughs> being a Chicago suburbs kid, like Gene Greco, it's like, dude, I, I, I remember watching him covering Michael Jordan's retirement in 1993 right. when I was six years old. Like right. I, he has been that guy in Chicago sports broadcasting for so long. So to hear him kind of, you know, slight us on the air on Waddle and Sylvie, a show that I've listened to for, you know, a decade. I'm like, wow, I can't believe he knows who we are. Also, sounds like he's not a big fan of our, of our content. So it just kind of snowballed. We had a show that night. The Bulls had a game that night after his, his appearance on Waddle and Sylvie, where he kind of, you know, trashed us a little bit. So we responded mostly with praise and saying, dude, you're a legend. Thanks for even mentioning us on Chicago sports talk radio. Right. Um, and hey, we could learn a thing or two from you if you ever want to come by the show. We're still pretty new in this business. You're a legend. But we also got in some some, you know, underhanded jabs about maybe the fact that he's he's nearing the twilight years of his career. Um, and then, yeah, I, I hopped on Waddle and Silvery for a quick second when they had Mark on and he and I made peace and cracked a few jokes. But I, I think the most important thing that came out of that is uh, a column I wrote for NBCSportChicago.com. I was doing a weekly column this year called The Pecking Order, and most of it was just about Bulls stuff, my Bulls thoughts after the most recent week of Bulls basketball games. But I sat down and wrote this really long-winded, long-form, you know, fleshed-out thought, uh, like, think piece on the changing world of Chicago sports media and sports media in general, and the fact that this was clearly a generational divide. Gian Greco, with some of his comments, was mostly sticking up for the old guard, to use his own words, people that have been in sports broadcasting for a long time and are for one reason or another getting phased out. And I, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not claiming to, but at least for the sake of that column and this interaction was doing my best to represent the voice of a, a younger class of people who were trying to break into the sports media business here in Chicago and, and fighting against the, um, you know, this, this old notion of the old way. And we have our Twitter threads and we have our blogs, and we have our podcasts. And in so many ways, the old, you know, uh, the older generation see that as, you know, uh, uh, illegitimate and mm -hmm. you didn't go to the proper journalism or broadcasting schools and training programs. And you're just like a kid with a blog. And there's this kind of generational divide and, I tried to express in that column the fact that, like, look, the only reason we're here and trying to do this is because we were so inspired and motivated by who you guys were and who you women were doing these jobs when we were just kids following our favorite teams growing up. Like, you're the reason we're here and we're not trying to step on your toes and we're not trying to take your job. We're just here creating, as my buddy Big Dave phrased it, he couldn't phrase it, I couldn't phrase it any better. He said, we're not here coming after your pie. We're making our own pie and we're sharing. Like there's plenty of room to be in this business and there are different ways to do things. And just because we're maybe seeing this crazy shift in how sports are covered with the immediacy of Twitter and social media and, and digital media platforms, it doesn't mean that we're forgetting the old way and the old guard because they are legends in our eyes, because that is the first reaction that we had to Mark G and Greco, even knowing who we were and that we existed. He's a legend. They're legends. We're just trying to, 
do a little bit of our own work and not embarrass ourselves while doing so. I got you. You're filling in a void. I mean, you're filling in a void. But yeah, that that that's definitely an inspiring, man. And definitely keep going. I definitely appreciate you joining us. Again, we have Matt Peck. Follow him at Bulls underscore Peck. Uh, host of the Chicago Bulls Outsiders, the Bulls Outsiders, rather, for the past two seasons and also co-host of Locked on Bulls. Matt, appreciate it. Stay safe out here, man, in these COVID wars that's taking place right now. Hey, I, I appreciate you. I love you. Uh, what you guys do with this show. Keep it up. And uh, I'd be happy to jump on and talk Bulls or anything else anytime. Can All I right. get up and or down? I was just going to say that. You beat me. I was just going to say that. <laughs> definitely, definitely. We're dropping this tomorrow, so hoping this with a victory. Matt, have a good evening. Uh, listen, real quick. I hope the Bears don't stress you out tonight because it's been like that. It's been a stressful for the dad five wins. It's been a stressful. It's just the past week has been stressful for a variety of ways, shall we say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have a good one. You too, man. Appreciate you. No doubt.